references in there. So, um, but it's great. It's a lot of fun. You can pick one up today. Um, so here we are, Mark chapter 10. Uh, not only is it toward the end of this book, this gospel, but that means that it's the end of Christ's life. It's the end of his, his life on earth and what he was doing here um, when he came here. There's been uh, all kinds of healings and teachings, um, you know, and I don't want to underplay any of those things that he's done up to this point. Um, he's confronted sin, um, over and over and over again, I would argue that every healing and teaching is uh, both an act of mercy and an act of condemnation of sin and pointing that out and our need for a Savior, um, not just in our bodies and our physical well-being, but in our souls. Um, and so we've had lots and lots of that happening here, and Jesus has been confronting sin and talking about our soul's condition and what it looks like to be his follower. What does it mean to follow Christ? Um, what does it mean to be a in love follower of Jesus, you know um, He has talked to us a lot about that And shown us a lot about what that looks like um, And here at the Conclusion of his life The conclusion of his ministry um, There's there's really One more reminder um, uh, Who the hero of the story is uh, This will be the last Miracle that we'll see Jesus do In the book of Mark Before he goes to the cross and it's, it, I really think it's one more way for the Holy Spirit and for Mark to go, keep your eyes on him. Keep your heart's attention on him. Keep your, your affection on him. He's the point. Christ is the point of the whole story. Um, and so he's driving us to keep our attention on Jesus here. And there's one more reminder here um, that Jesus is the hero. So look in Mark chapter 10, look in verse 46. Jimmy read this. We're going to kind of cut it up and, and take it apart and study it some. It says, Then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So we get introduced, first thing, we get introduced to this blind man, and there's several interesting things we find out about this blind man. Um, just an odd fact. Um, he's the only person in the book of Mark who comes for a healing or comes for a miracle who's named. He's the only one who's named that we find out for whatever importance that is. Then it says his name is Bartimaeus, right? Which means son of Timaeus, which doesn't help us very much, I think, in some ways. There's an old SNL skit with Chris Farley. He dressed up like El Nino. Do you guys remember that? He had this huge flowery blossom on. And he's going, El Nino. And he goes, and El Nino, for those of you who don't speak Spanish, means El Nino. You know, and so <laughs> Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus. There's not a lot of interpretation there. Um, and we find that out about uh, Bartimaeus and several other things that we find out about him. Um, I do think it's important to notice the condition um, of Bartimaeus, like how he comes to Jesus. He has absolutely nothing to offer him. Nothing. It's not, it would not have been unusual for a blind person or a crippled person, a handicapped person in those days, to live in the ditches, to live on the side of the road. That would not have been unusual at all. Um, so he's coming to, to Christ and he just has absolutely nothing to offer him. Most people in his life would assume that he's a sinner Most of the good Jewish people in his life would look at him and say he's blind because he sinned It's it looks like from the story that he was born seeing and he's lost his sight somehow or another 
And so a lot of the assumption around him would be, you have lost your sight, this bad thing has happened to you because you're a sinner. So he would be living on the streets, quite possibly, uh, probably actually, um, he would be assumed that he was a terrible sinner um, because of his physical condition. And it wouldn't be so much like he was a, a leper or a Gentile, sort of to that extent, but he would be someone who everybody would just actively overlook. People would see him but not see him, right? Um, they would know he's there but pretend like he's not there. Um, at the, at the very, maybe he was just a nuisance to everyone. Um, so that's kind of his condition when he came to him. And I would, again, argue and say, I think these people are kind of around us every day. Whether they're a homeless person or a blind person, don't get lost in the specific there or the detail there. The point is that there are people around us every day who are hurting and go unseen. There, there are people around us all the time who are in these desperate places and we don't see them. Now, again, you can get overly literal and think, oh, he's talking about homeless people. I need to pay attention to homeless people. Yes, yes, we should. But aren't we surrounded by people who are in desperate places who go unseen every day and they're not homeless and they're not physically blind? Are you catching me here? We're surrounded by these people all the time, every day. People in our lives who are just desperate and they go unnoticed. So I think the first challenge we get here from the text is, are you seeing that person? Are you really seeing the people? Are you getting involved with them? Maybe, and we're going to see the crowd, how the crowd reacts to him in, in just a second, where they tell him to be quiet. Matter of fact, they use the same word Jesus used for the demons, where he told them to shut up. They say, shut up. Be quiet. Nobody wants to hear from you. Go back to your ditch. Are you seeing them? Are you getting involved with them? Are you telling them just to be quiet? So here's what we're talking about. Your divorced neighbor, your sick neighbor, your neighbor who's struggling, and I'm talking about the person who lives in the house next to you or across the street from you, your neighbor. <laughs> so you come to Jesus, and you're like, who's my neighbor? And I think Jesus goes, who do you live next to? <laughs> That's who your neighbor is. Do you see their condition? Will you get involved into their world, or will you just stay quiet and mend fences with them and keep their kids and their bikes out of your yard and hope that the smell of weed coming from their house doesn't get into your house? Isn't that how we live our lives? Hurting people around us all the day, living in the houses next door. We have no idea what's going on. Will you see them? Will you listen to the cry behind the cry? Or are you just going to hope they go away and throw them a little smile every now and then and maybe give them a Christmas card? That's what we find out about Bartimaeus. Another thing that kind of pops out about Bartimaeus is that as he's on the road and begging and blind, he somehow hears Jesus is coming. Uh, I'm sure that was sort of the, the, the town gossip at the very least. This was at the beginning of Passover. There probably would have been thousands of people on this road. This was the main road um, coming from the north, from Jericho, to get into Jerusalem. So it would have been just thousands of people, and the buzz would have been kind of, the energy would have been pretty crazy. And he's heard that Christ is coming. So he's blind, but he's spiritually very perceptive. Even though he can't see with his eyes, he's very, very spiritually perceptive. Uh, Helen Keller said, It's better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and never see anything. He sees with his heart. He sees what other people are missing. He sees what the crowd is missing. He sees what 
Quite frankly, I think even the disciples are missing. He sees what the religious leaders are missing, even though he's blind. He says, son of David, is what he cries out to him. He says, son of David. That's a very interesting title that he gives Christ. Um, no one else in the book of Mark calls Jesus that. He calls him the son of David, which means he would have had some understanding about the Old Testament prophecies, promises about a Messiah, about a Savior, and he would have been attaching those promises to Jesus. He would have been looking at Christ and said, you are the Messiah. The other thing that's attached to that is the son of David would have been royalty. He'd be a prince. David was the king, and anybody related to the king would have been royalty. So he looks at Christ and he says, you are the royal savior, son of David. He really sees him. He sees Jesus as both merciful and able. He gets his eyesight, the heart eyesight that he has, and he centers it on the greater person from David's family to come. That was the promise, right? David was awesome. David was a great king. He wasn't the promise. There was a greater one who would come from David's family. And Bartimaeus has set his sight the sight of his heart on that promise. This is what we call Old Testament faith, guys, right? Before the cross, before the crucifixion, before the resurrection, they believed in something. He has placed his faith in that. He is trusting in that. And it's centered on the person of Jesus Christ, Son of David, Messiah, Royal One. He has faith in who Christ is. So even though he's blind, he has this crazy ability to see things that other people don't see and then he's persistently crying out for mercy the crowd comes along and tells him to shut up and the text says louder even more louder he cried out jesus son of david have mercy on me he is persistent have mercy on me what is mercy mercy is unworthy favor i'm not worthy of you being good to me be good to me anyway Help me, I am wretched. Wretched's a great word, we don't use it anymore. I am wretched, I am broken, I am dirty, I am unworthy un, uh, of what you could give me and have for me. Mercy means see my misery and understand my misery and do something about my ministry. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's not just calling for that mercy, he's counting on that mercy. We'll talk about that more in a second. This man can't get up. He can't move out his legs and hopefully trip Jesus, you know, and he can't run behind him and grab him. He can't sneak up behind him. Remember that woman who touches the hem of his garment? He can't do that. He's blind. So what he does is he cries out. He cries out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. He is persistent. If we're going to change this into what we would talk about, we would say, man, he keeps praying. He keeps praying. Are you here just to pop our hands up? How many of you are tired about praying about something? You're just tired. I have been praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. And I'm not going to pray. I'm just tired of praying about it. This man persists, doesn't he? So I would say the encouragement, some of the encouragement from this text would be that. Keep praying. Keep reaching out to the Lord. And he keeps his prayers, he keeps his cries in line with his deepest need. He doesn't start getting all tangential and praying about things that are on the periphery. He's like, son of David, have mercy on me. What does he need most? I don't know if it's his eyesight, but it's definitely mercy. Somebody take notice of me. 
Somebody pay attention to where I'm at. Somebody look at my struggles and see where I am and, and pay attention and help me. Even though everybody in his life is telling him to be quiet. Now there is a biblical big idea behind this idea of persisting with the Lord as people are telling you to be quiet. Remember Job? His friends are telling him, you're wrong, you're a sinner, and that's why all this is happening to you. You should not talk to God anymore. And he consistently, for 30 chapters, cries out to God, what is happening? I don't understand. Explain this to me. Have mercy on me. Job does that. Abraham and Sarah, 90 years old, childless, what do they do? They pray, and they pray, and they pray, and they get tired of praying, don't they? At some point, they get tired of praying. And they pray and they seek the Lord and they say, Lord, have mercy on me. Noah, hundreds of years building a ship that just looks ridiculous, crazy work, consistent, persistent, Jeremiah in a pit. There's this biblical precedent of godly people trusting in God, calling out to him, persisting in crying out to him. Verse 49, look at this. So he's crying out to him. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And people are telling him to be quiet, and he keeps crying out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 49, and Jesus stopped and said, call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, take courage, stand up. He is calling to you. Man, I could literally spend 30 minutes on, the, on that phrase, Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. Guys, Jesus stopped. Praise the Lord, right? Jesus stopped. Some of us are wondering, we're in this room today, and we're like, man, is he going to stop for me? I've been praying, and I've been calling out, and I've been asking, will he move? Will he work? Will he have mercy? Will he stop for me? I would like to encourage you this morning. I think God's in the habit of stopping when we cry out to him. He has done it before, and he's done it throughout history for two naked adult children in a garden. He stopped. For a righteous man in the dark recesses of history who never saw death because God took him home before he died, God stopped for him. For an old man and his precious son on a mountaintop with fire and a knife in hand, God stopped. For a disgraced woman who's been cast out with her baby who is wondering out loud, can God even hear me anymore? He stopped. For a disgraced liberator, blind and shaved bald for one last act of courage, God stopped. For a devastated father who was a murderer, who lost a baby to death and a grown son to civil war, God stopped for him. For three boys who were, be burned, who were supposed to be burned alive because they refused to bow to an idol, God stopped. For a mother and a father with a newborn who had to flee their country for their lives, God stopped. I don't know exactly how this prayer thing works, guys. I wish I did. I've been a believer for a long time, and it gets murkier the longer I'm a believer. It doesn't get much clearer. What do I know about prayer and calling out to the Lord for mercy? First of all, I know I don't understand how it works. Second thing, 
I've wasted way too much time, time trying to figure out how it works. <laughs> That's what I know about prayer. I don't know how it works, and I've spent a heck of a lot of time worrying about and coming and arguing with God about how this should work. Third thing, it works. <laughs> I don't know how, and I've spent a lot of time messing around with God about it, but I know that it works. Fourth thing, that God stops. That Jesus stoops low into our dirty, dusty, hurting, desperate world when I call out to him. I know that my prayers are at their best when they are brutally honest and consistently dependent and they're full of imperfect faith. Those are my best prayers. I give a good Thanksgiving prayer, but it's not really as good as that one. Jesus stopped. And you know what, man? I just want to ask you, can you just say thank you, Jesus, this morning? Can you just stop and just say that? He stopped. He stopped for you, hasn't he? Some of us in this room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe he didn't stop when you wanted him to the first time, but he did stop. And we should just say a hallelujah to him, or wow, or just be in overwhelming awe that the one who holds creation together stops when I call his name. I can guarantee you that Jesus is stopping for somebody today, and he may be stopping for you today. Will you be bold enough to cry out and to trust him with whatever little understanding you have? Would you be bold enough to stop and to pray and to ask him to stop and have mercy for you and to believe that he can and that he will? I can also guarantee you that him stopping and doing is not dependent on your persistence. And some of us get this backwards. I think this is very freeing, and it makes a lot of sense when you think about it this way. Your persistence is driven and fueled by his mercy and grace, not the other way around. He's not waiting for you to come to some level of persistence and faith before he acts in your life. That would be an awful, terrible way this system would work. My persistence is based on, dependent on, counting on him, stopping, being merciful, and being powerful. Otherwise, I'm just banging my head against the wall. My persistence with him is, I know you are hearing me. I know you can. I know you want to. Stop. Please stop. Why bang our heads on that wall if he doesn't care for us, if he won't stop for us? So Jesus stopped. And I do think that Jesus was kind of busy. He had a little, he had some stuff going on. His daytimer was pretty full, right? This is him heading into the last week of his life. This is the beginning of the last week of his life. He's got stuff to do. He's got to go to the cross. He's got really important things to do. Kind of puts my busyness in perspective, doesn't it? He's got things that he has got to get done. The next stop for him is Jerusalem and then the cross. In just a matter of days, he is headed to the cross, but he stopped anyway. You and I, how many times are we in this mode of, man, I am busy. I'm a busy person. 
I've got a lot on my plate. A lot of people are depending on me. God, I just don't have a lot of time to spare right now. I mean, I don't have a lot of time for hurting people right now. I mean, I can't really spare a lot of time or resources for others. I don't have time for this Jenny Lane Thanksgiving thing or Carter's Kids or Uganda or child sponsorship or mentoring somebody or a life group. I'm just, I'm busy. I have things to do. Jesus was a big deal. Listen, Jesus was a big deal doing big things. You and I are not that big a deal, and we've got little things to do. He was a big deal, and he had big things to do, but he stopped for a guy that lives in the ditch, who's blind, he has nothing to offer. The most important person in your life right now is the person God wants you to stop for today. That's the most important person in your life. Now, that could be your children and your spouse. Some of you just need to stop. Could be a young couple who needs you to step alongside them. It may not be 60 Carter's kids or 30's Carter's kids, but there's one kid at Carter's kids who you could stop for today. Could be a divorced mom. Now listen, here's what you need to understand about me personally. I am driven, like to a degree that most of you don't understand because I have really tried to ratchet it back. But I am obsessively driven in life for the most part. I like hardcore, get out of the way, I have things to get done, driven. So over the last several years of life, it's been... I have to get Jordan out of school, praise God, right? Out of college, just get him out, you know? And we're driven to see that happen, nothing else can get in the way. I have been driven to get Jenna out of high school, but then set up in the basement where she can live forever. Uh, <laughs> right? I have been <laughs> driven over the last 18 months to get Mindy Sanders better. Driven, obsessed, like you, you don't understand. Man, the Lord just sucker punched me this week when I was reading this text. And he brought some clarity to me, um, something he's been doing over the last three months with a lot of very uncomfortable things in my spirit. And I think in the last three months, he's really been saying, man, whoa, Joe, just stop. You know, stop for Mindy. <laughs> Don't get her better. Stop for her. And stop for Jenna. And stop for Jordan. And that's really hard for me to do. And be his hands and be his feet. Don't just accomplish stuff in their lives. Stop for him. What if Jesus' plans for somebody in your life depends on you stopping for them? Have you ever thought about that? God's got something amazingly cosmically, supernaturally powerful that he wants to do in someone. And his plan for them depends on you stopping. I don't know if I've ever regretted stopping for someone, but I know I've regretted not stopping. Who do you need to stop for? Christ was busy. You're busy. He stopped. You can stop. Now, this crowd is very interesting. They're fickle. 
aren't they? They told him to shut up, and here they're like, hey, he's calling you. Get up and go see him, right? Totally changed their story here. So I ran across this, and I thought this was a great question this week. Are you an usher or a bouncer? <laughs> are you an usher or are you a bouncer? Are you easing people into a relationship with Jesus, or are you keeping them away? Are you the morality police? You're offended by the sins and the shortcomings of others. You're letting them know. Instead of pointing out their sins, how could you help them get so close to Christ that they want to love him and then they want to obey him? Are you the free in Jesus person to the point that you don't really have a lot of morals and values and you're free enough in Jesus to live any way you want to but not really substantively, substantively are you any different than the people who don't know him? How can you set healthy boundaries in your life that honor the Lord, that could be honorable and attractive to a watching world? And listen to me, the world's watching. The world's watching. They might mock your morals, but they desperately want morals. They might mock your ethics, but they desperately want ethics. They may mock your boundaries, but they desperately want them. And they will respond favorably to those, generally speaking, especially if you're in a relationship with them, to those who walk humbly, consistently with the Lord. Who can you say this today? Get up and go to him. He's calling you now. Verse 50. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and he came to Jesus and answering him, Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, I want to regain my sight. I don't know if a blind man can roll his eyes or <laughs> look incredulous, but that's a crazy question, you know, when Jesus asks him that. What do you want me to do for you? Why does Jesus ask that question? Is he so busy that he's distracted and he doesn't understand who this man is that's now standing in front of him? Is he just that unobservant of what is this man's problem? I believe this is what's happening, that the first thing that is a general cry for help, son of David, have mercy on me. That's a general cry for help. Jesus is now like, this is specific. Your, your raw understanding of your needs, how do you understand your needs? Not the pink pony prayer, like, what do you need me to do? What are your deepest needs? What are your hardest things in your life? Unfiltered. You're not defending yourself now with Jesus. You're just coming to him saying, here's what I think I need. I don't know what else I could even say at this point. And he doesn't say to him, hey, you owe me. I've lost 15 years of my life due to this blind stuff. You owe me. My life has been hard. You're supposed to bring good stuff to me. And he doesn't say, if you give me this sight, I'll do something for you. He's not bartering with Jesus. He just comes to him very simply, very raw, unfiltered, and says, I need my sight. God wants us, and this is not a bad thing, God wants us to be reduced to the point where we just have to say our needs to him. He wants that from us. He wants us to be pressed down so hard and so low where we will come to him and say, I'm done playing religious games, and I'm done trying to be good, and I'm done the church thing, all religion. I just need you to meet me here. This is what I need to get us down to that place where we can 
say our needs, to give us faith, to draw faith out of us. That's what he wants from us. Jesus values me trusting him more than he values anything else. He wants me to love him and to trust him. That's, I think, the New Testament definition of what faith is, to love Christ and to trust him with my life, to do both of those things in hand-in-hand somehow together. And we don't deserve it from him. We constantly prove to be unfaithful and unlovable. The only other time in, in Scripture where Jesus asks somebody, and this is so interesting, where he says, what do you want me to do for you? The only other time he says that to someone is to James and John. And some of you may know the story, but James and John have come to him, and they're like, hey, we want you to do something for us. And he's like, well, what do you want me to do for you? What do they ask for? They ask for power and prestige and authority and position. And Jesus rebukes them really strongly. So the only other time in Scripture that he asks that question is of these two knuckleheads who come to him and they want stuff from him. And then he asks this blind man, and again, the blind man proves to be more insightful than those who see. Because he is desperate. He is at this place where everything else has been kind of shaken off from him. Here it's the heart condition. This is what Jesus is looking for. This place where you have nothing else to do but to go to him and cry for mercy. And he says to him, go and be healed because you have come for mercy. My mission is to show mercy. My mission is to help you see, to really see, to know who I am, to trust in me, to faith in me, to believe in me. You're healed because you've come to me for that. That's what I came to do. uh, Last verse, 52. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began to follow him on the road. So many of us struggle with this point where it talks about um, faith and exactly what this means and what am I supposed to do with this? And this whole faith issue kind of wigs this out a little bit. He says, your faith has made you well. And so many of us just kind of bail out at this point. We either make too much of it or we make too little of it. Here's what I would say. We, we, a lot of times people are like, you know, the hero of the story is Bartimaeus. Have faith, have faith, have faith, have faith, and Jesus will do some things for you. That's kind of the, the message we get a lot of times when people speak about this text. If I believe, I get stuff. So the moral of the story many times when people preach from this text is believe and get stuff. It's an end unto itself, and ultimately, it's faith in faith. If I believe enough in faith, I'll get stuff. What is the whole point of Mark's gospel? How do I understand Jesus' point here? Is he doing some kind of crazy Ivan 180 flip in the middle of the thing, and I don't understand what he's talking about, you know? Is he switching the thing here at the very end of his life? Has he suddenly just switched it all and wanted it to be about faith? Dang it, I missed the mark. I thought it was about Jesus. No, 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 it's about faith. Let's all believe in faith. What is the point of Mark's gospel? Is the point of Mark's gospel believe a lot and get a lot? Is that, like, that been the whole point? Here's the point of Mark's gospel, and he says it at the very beginning. We looked at this in chapter 1. All of history is being wrapped up in and revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Trust him, follow him. That's the point. That is Mark's entire deal. Everything that's been promised about God is being wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. Trust him and follow him. 
This is the very last miracle before the cross, and I don't think the emphasis has suddenly switched to us and our faith and to be like Bartimaeus. I don't think that's like the point of this text. We are like Bartimaeus in this. I'm not that big a deal. Bartimaeus is not that big a deal. That's one of the beauties of the story. He's not that big a deal. We are hurting. We have been forgotten. We have been cast off. We've been labeled as hopeless. And we're living in the dust and the ditches of history. The whole point of this story is to look at the Savior who stops and saves. That's the point of this story. Not the amount of my faith or more faith or the right kind of faith. We need to remember that Jesus cares and that he stops and his grace will seep into the cracks of our hardened heart and it will soak the ground of our daily pains and the suffering that we have every day. I think we're going to get to heaven one day and we're going to meet Bartimaeus, which will be super cool. And we're going to meet a bunch of people who are like Bartimaeus. I think we're all going to sit down. We're, there's going to be ice cream in heaven, I guarantee you, okay? Ice cream and fajitas. That's what we're having every day. We're going to be ice cream. We're going to sit over some ice cream. And we're going to look at each other and we're going to say, you know what, man? Bartimaeus, I don't know why, but he stopped for me. I have no idea why, but he stopped for me too. I didn't really know who he was, but he stopped for me. I didn't even know what I needed. He asked me what I wanted him to do, and I don't know. Save me, have mercy on me. And he did it, and he cared, and he saved me. He saved my spirit, Bartimaeus. He saved my body, Bartimaeus. Saved my soul, my mind. Over stages and over time, but he saved me. I guess in that blindness, neither one of us were really ever by ourselves, were we? Bartimaeus. So on the one hand, we are Bartimaeus. We have nothing to offer him. We come to him and we've got Problems. That's really all we have. Problems and a tiny bit of faith. And that's kind of it. And we have a problem that ultimately is unsolvable. As unsolvable and as impossible as we think healing a blind person is, we have a bigger problem. And it's the sin that we have in our hearts. We can't do anything to deliver ourselves from that sin. Our hope, our only hope, is that God's promised Savior will come and stop when I cry out to Him. He calls to us. He touches us by His grace. And we're made whole. Guys, listen, Jesus is the only hero that we need. Bartimaeus isn't the hero of the story. Jesus is the hero of the story. Don't flip this around. The hero of the story isn't the faith that Bartimaeus had. It's that Jesus stopped and saved him and gave him Sight. This is what sets Jesus apart from every other Savior that might come your way. J.D. Greer, pastor, he's president of the Southern Baptist Convention now, he says this. He says, every other God tells you to work harder, do better, obtain more. You still aren't getting my attention. Go slash yourself. So we slash at our bodies by going through crash diets to attain the perfect figure. We slash at our families by overworking to make extra money. We slash at our souls by compromising our integrity to get somebody's attention and affection. 
False gods push us to change and to mutilate and to renovate and to overhaul and to cure ourselves because we desperately want to win their approval. But there was only one God who was ever mutilated for us, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus is the hero of the story, guys. He's the hero of the story. Keep your eyes on him. Would you guys bow your heads? Psalm 34 says this. Some of us are in this place this morning of desperation. And we've prayed, and we've prayed, and we've prayed, and we're tired, and we're blind, and we're hurting. And we're wondering, will he stop? Psalm 34, 15 says this. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and he hears their cry. Eyes of the Lord are toward the right. This is a promise from the Lord. Are you listening? Eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. We're praying this morning, God, watch over me. Let your eyes be on me. Know my heart. God, replace my selfishness with humility. I've been selfish, Lord, and I want you to make me humble. Replace my desire for a formula to get to you with trust and love for Jesus. Act for me. God, do something for me. God, have mercy on me. Meet me in my need. I am sinful. And I need you to act now. Save me forever. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Let me see Jesus so that I will love him and trust him. Maybe that's your prayer this morning. Man, let me see Jesus. Open the eyes of my heart that I can see Jesus so I can love him and trust him. I've got so many questions. My mind is in so many places. I want to argue with God about so much. <laughs> God, would you just have mercy? And this morning as you're passing by, would you let me see you, love you, and trust you? Bartimaeus got up, it says he got up and he went on the road with Jesus. That's the first thing he does. He gets up and he goes on the road with Jesus. God, let me see you, trust you, and follow you. Give me the courage to get up and to follow Jesus on whatever road he has for me. I don't know where he's going. I just want to follow him. I want to be with him. Give me the courage to get up and follow. Listen. Christ is walking by you this morning, right now. He's walking right by you, saying, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. He's walking right by you. He's got something to offer you. Will you cry out to him right now? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Save me. 